Uh, This evening's reading is taken from Psalm 126, and you can find this on page 623 of the Pew Bibles. So it's Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaths with them. Let's turn to Psalm 126, which again begins with a great sense of the joy of God, the real joy of God. And it's a joy that comes from a people who have been exiled. They've been exiled, in fact, in Babylon under the Babylonians. And I don't know if we can possibly imagine, get our heads around, what it would be like to be snatched from your home and taken to another land and have to live out your life in that environment. And all the things that would be different. But of course, whatever uh, provision or not that would be made, and it would be probably pretty sparse, but it's not home. That's the point. And uh, maybe some of you have come back from a holiday, and maybe you can say you had a lovely time. But you know that there was a great sense of joy when you came home and uh, you were thinking, this, this is where I belong. I enjoyed this place and that place and that food and so on. That was good, but it's nothing like being home. And that's really in the early verses of Psalm 126. It, it's a celebration by God's people who have been released from that captivity and now they have come home. Not all of them, quite a lot of them have come home. There's more to come home, but they, uh, they're delirious uh, because it's something that they dreamed about. We sometimes hear of people who've been hostages in another country and at last whatever has happened, something has happened that's triggered their release and they come back home. And the joy that it is to come back home And here in this psalm, they said it was like, it's like we were dreaming. We had to sort of pinch ourselves. They didn't literally say that. But uh, that's the sort of feeling that you have. They really felt so excited that they were back in the land. Some of them, of course, would be very young when they were taken off as captives. Some of them that much older. Obviously, some people would have died in captivity. But here we have some people who are saying it's like a dream to us. It's just so 
so exciting to be home. And it goes on. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. They just can't help but be grateful because Babylon, Babylon was not home. And lots of things about it were far from homely. But now they find themselves in this place and they're just full of praise to God. What is very interesting, which the psalmist picks up, is that they were full of praise to God, full of thanks to God, and the nations around, they also acknowledged that this was a miracle, this was a great thing, because they knew the Babylonians wouldn't just sort of uh, release their grip on these people easily. And so they're amazed. They probably anticipated that the Jewish people would be out of the land forever and a day. But these people have come home and uh, they also acknowledge that this is the goodness of God. Quite interesting, heathen nations, nations that would not have worshipped the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, but they still acknowledged that for the door to open and for the Jewish people to be allowed back in their land, this was a very, very significant step. But of course, again, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. But the second half of the psalm is important. It's not a contradiction, in fact, because uh, you've got all this joy and all this praise and then we start to hear about weeping and tears and so on. So what's going on here? Well, I suggest what's going on is this. It was one thing to come physically back into the land, but it would be another matter to come back wholeheartedly to revering, worshipping, honouring God. You could be in the physical position, but that doesn't mean that spiritually they were in the best place. There still would be a need for the work of God to bring them into a real sense of commitment and wanting to love him and honor him and give him the place that he deserves. And sometimes we can be content with small steps, but God has got more for us. Sometimes people can be inclined to say, well, I've asked Jesus to be my savior and I'm grateful he's forgiven my sin. I'm grateful that I have an, a, a route to heaven and I'm going to be with him one day. But I don't particularly like the idea of him being Lord of my life and Lord of all my relationships and Lord of all my decisions. Um, can I skip that? You know, Can I just say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, but let it just rest there. But we know that's... That's just not how it should be. We can be restored in some sense. We can have made some steps in the right direction. And it can seem very commendable. But we need to be a people who say, like Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What Paul said was this. He said, I would rather be with Christ. It's far better but I'm willing to stay in order to bless the body of Christ. 
And so as we move into the second half of the psalm, you do have this expression in some ways of sorrow, this expression of the need for tenacity and perseverance to see all that God wants us to enjoy and know. And by the way, it is enjoyable to be wholly committed to Christ. It's not meant to be a hair shirt. It's not meant to be miserable. There is great joy in being in the center of God's will. But they say, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, what they're really looking at is a sense that the Negev is a desert area most of the time. It's only occasionally when there's heavy rain that the Negev, which otherwise would be very arid, becomes uh, fertile and a land where things can change and happen. But the psalmist is saying, we are longing for the streams of God. Now, I think someone prayed, didn't they, earlier uh, in our service about rain coming. I, I guess uh, when it does come, we'll probably be praying for sunshine again, but never mind. We can be a bit fickle. But the, but the thing is, is that they, they are saying in this psalm, there's, there's a core of people who are saying, Lord, we want more. Lord, we want more. I wonder if this is what was in Peter's mind when he's preaching in Acts chapter 3 and he, he says, repent, repent, come and seek God that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. There's a hunger for more. And we talk about restoration. Well, we have to be careful what we mean by that. But if we are saying that God has got great fullness and great fruitfulness and big plans for us and restoration means that we actually come into the good of that. It's not just sort of a, a, a sort of an airy-fairy objective out there somewhere, but we are looking for the reality. Now, I know we have to be very wise because... Sometimes people say, oh, we would love to be in the days of the Acts of the Apostles. And what they probably mean is they would love to be in days where many people are coming to Christ in big numbers and where the power of God is moving and wonderful things are happening. But of course, we have to realize that also in the days of the Acts of the Apostles, there was persecution, there was Christians being killed, and there were people being imprisoned and there were many, many pressures. Restoration is joyful, but it also invites serious challenges. And maybe that's something that we need to be ready for in our nation at this time. We are deploring the state of the nation. We are uh, concerned about ungodliness and all manner of things going wrong and selfishness and corruption, all manner of things. But you know, when you start to touch the things that are precious to others who don't love God, there will be a backlash. Just look at Paul in Philippi. When that slave girl came to Christ, it was great joy at, at a moment, but uh, when the people who'd been making money out of the slave girl realized their income was going to dwindle greatly, they got very upset. And when we start to make inroads in our nation, 
with the good news of the Lord Jesus, there could well be a backlash as well. And that's why the psalmist is saying, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. In other words, entering into the heart of God, entering into that place where we long for God to move, we long for people to honor him and to respect his name and give him the place he deserves. We long to see people coming to the house of God in order that they can meet with God and worship God. But sometimes behind that can be many a tear. I'm sure here in this church you've had people you can reflect on, really wonderful intercessors, people who could be relied upon to be like a dog at a bone in their tenacity to seek God. And sometimes... It wasn't in public, they were too wise to just let it overspill, but in the quiet place they were crying to God, Lord, bless this church, Lord, touch this church, cause this to be a place of new birth frequently. Weeping, calling on God, longing for him to work. But the promise is, There will be reward for those who weep. And then we read, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, weeping is something which God gives. You know, if I suddenly said, let's all have a time of weeping for the nation, you can't turn it on like a tap. It's just impossible. It would be very unreal. But God can place upon our hearts such a burden, such a desire for change, such a desire for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on this bit of earth, even as it is in heaven. But I think the psalmist is giving us a very important insight here. He says, carrying seed to sow. And one of the things that's been very core in your life as a church has been the word of God, carrying the seed of the word of God. You love the community, you may do things to encourage people who are poor, who are hungry or whatever, but essentially the motivation, the message that we have is God's word is relevant, God's standards are relevant and the gospel is relevant the gospel of the love of God, the gospel of the power of the Lord Jesus to forgive sinners and to reconcile them to himself, carrying the seed. And it's good to encourage one another. Are you carrying the seed of the word of God in your time of joy and in your time of grief as you see so many things you want to see changed? Do you also have in your heart, his word, his truth. Because we believe that when we're sharing the truth of the word of God, what we have here will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. God's word will prevail. We know there are many scriptures. God's word does not return to him void. It achieves the task for which he sends it. 
Now, the Bible also talks, and Jesus talked in the parable of the sower, about the fact that there are some hearts that are very hard, that are like rocks. There are some people whose hearts are like uh, a garden full of weeds, and there's little space for the seed of the word to grow. And some people are just so resistant, it goes in one end after the other. And then there's the good ground. We need to pray, Lord, in the coming weeks and months, as your new vicar comes among you, how good it is to pray, Lord, let there be many good hearts that are ready to receive your word. That's happened in the past. Let it happen now and in the future. Let there be that real, real desire for hearts to be shaped and prepared to receive the seed of the word of God. When Jesus is talking about the power of the sower, it's really interesting that one of the things that he says is that there was some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Fruit is fruit. We might want to ask for a hundredfold, but you may not get a hundredfold, but you can still look for some fruit. And yes, when I think of Aubrey out there in Malawi, I, I see abundant fruit. Just people so hungry, so ready to receive the gospel. And here we know that sometimes it seems such hard work. God is calling us to have a sincerity and a depth of purpose that it will even bring us to tears. There's a man called Praying Hyde. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. There's a little booklet about his ministry, his life, his prayers. And one of the things, I mean, he prayed and prayed. And and we know that others have prayed. Uh, People who've had very fruitful ministry Behind it has been lots of prayer. And uh, John Hyde said, Lord, give me souls or I die. And that wasn't just a a lovely little phrase. Oh, that's great, John. Uh, It was much deeper than that. It was a burden. It was something strong upon him. Lord, give me souls. I want people to know you. I want people to be saved. I don't want people to go to hell and be separate from you forever. I want people to come into relationship with you. I want them to know your love and to know your peace, to know your joy. And it's something that is a deep burden. God has to give it to you. I've known moments in my life where I I felt that burden come upon me. And uh, it, it, it is... It is very difficult in many ways. It's a great joy, but there's also a pain. If sometimes you look out and you see, as Jesus did. Remember that time when Jesus looked out and he saw the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd and they were wandering around hopeless? And we know that Jesus came, that people might find him and life and forgiveness of sin. As we commit ourselves to taking the gospel, rejoicing in what God has done. That's what they did at the beginning of the psalm. We're back. We're in the land. Hallelujah. Great. 
But God didn't just bring them into the land to just sit and be comfortable. We know how some of them started to build their own houses and forgot about the fact that they should build at the house of God. God has brought us into a good place, but a good place so that we might seek for others to come and uh, enjoy his love. Bringing in the sheaves. Some of you look as old as I did, and, and, and you will perhaps remember the song. Bringing in the sheaves. I won't sing it. But uh, bringing in the sheaves. Well, we do look for a harvest. And the sense of the sheaves is that the crop has developed, it's been harvested, and in those days, bundled into sheaves that would then later be taken and the corn would be crushed and the bread could be made. Bringing in the sheaves. May God really stir all of us to be grateful for what we've got, hunger for more, and especially to have a burden that others come to know the Lord Jesus. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we know as we shortly have this time of communion that we're talking about bread and wine that you took as a picture of your suffering, your death, your body given for us, your blood shed. And we know that after you broke bread, you went into the garden and you were weeping, but not in weakness, weeping because of the reality of the massive task you've been given. Lord, we have been given under you the commission to reach many for Christ. Lord, touch our hearts. May our burden not be emotion or anything earthly. Spirit of God, touch our hearts with a longing that more should come to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.